word. I'm going to say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Tempe, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in the state and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on Word, children's and young adults literature. Starting with a production of Edward Tulane, a child's play drama running through early October. Probably the biggest challenge is the main character, the protagonist, doesn't move and can't move. Plus, we'll take a trip to a Tempe school for a young writers conference. It helped me really understand what my character wants in their lives and what their conflicts are. So I really got to understand them. But first, Pamela Rogers is the creator and host of the children's literature podcast, Buttons and Figs. She joined me at the KJZZ studios in Tempe. And I began our discussion by asking her what it was about her background that led her to create the podcast. I am a children's librarian, and I began my career in librarianship, working with different community-based groups who were putting libraries in schools. And then I worked with public libraries, a bit with the Arlington Public Library out in Virginia, And then uh, my family moved, so I worked a bit with the Dallas Public Library. And then we moved again in the D.C. Public Library. You get the idea. Um, New Orleans Public Library. And then I moved to Chicago, and I wanted to create something that um, might move with me the next time. And so I decided to start a podcast. And the vision for what I wanted to do was based on doing story times with kids. Directly out of your experience as a librarian? Yes. Yeah, that's and so that's great. really what motivated me. And I loved the moment when you would share a book with a child. I loved What was it about that? It when when you do story time as a librarian, you just get this you get so much insight into sort of the magic that happens between sharing a text out loud. You're showing pictures as well, but not always. Sometimes you're just storytelling. And then you see the kids take what they're given, the words, the sounds, the characters, and they work it into their world afterwards. When you see them play, if you read Three Billy Goats Gruffed Them at story time, you will hear them out on the bridge right. and the playground of saying, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's definitely one power of literature. Um, and that it, I think it, it informs human choices. It's like, it's like, you know, the history of human choices in, in many ways. Even though it's fiction, mm-hmm. people do things, they meet people, they have adventures. Besides just seeing that sort of light that goes on in their head, um, and, and you deal, you're dealing with a lot of, you know, kids, so they're developing, you know, a great deal of what's going to eventually become their essence, if you will, later on in life. Right, and I spent a lot of time doing early literacy, which is birth to five. And what does that look like when a child is getting ready to read? And in doing that work, it's something we refer to as background knowledge and building of narrative skills, which the two things I sort of took from that world and carried with me into creating a podcast was that there are two skills that are life long skills, and they are building vocabulary, which we all know, and even at my age, I'm learning new words every day, 
And our culture is creating new words all the time to describe what we see around us and what we're experiencing. And the other one is this building of storytelling, is being able to tell a story. And that is something we do every day, is share the stories of our lives. We come home, we talk about them at dinner, we, we call somebody when something happens to us, and we tell that story. And so having those experiences the only way to really enrich those is through reading and sharing uh, great literature, people who really stop and think about capturing those moments and then sharing them with us. And then you get an intimate moment as you read. But I also think podcasts do that as well. Right. And that's one thing that I wanted to talk to you about is your podcast. Um, you're the creator and the host of Buttons and Figs. And tell me a little bit about how you got started with that and sort of who is the primary audience. I am a self-taught podcaster. And in being a self-taught podcaster, I knew I was going to spend a lot of time doing this. <laughs> and so um, I really wanted to dive into a genre of literature that I knew I loved and could go deeply into and spend a lot of time with. And that um, that is nonsense literature. And What does that mean, nonsense <laughs> literature? It is really, I, I would say the two biggest names that sort of gave it its shape and form are Edward Lear and Lewis Carroll, who is the author of Alice in Wonderland. And so those two, there's been plenty of nonsense poets and writers over the years. Um, but they really gave it its shape so that others jump into that mix as they've come along. Um, and the moment that I realized I had something with that pairing of things, these poems and, and stories that I loved, was the night my six-year-old daughter, I read to her a poem from a book called Alligator Pie by Dennis Lee. And when I read, it was the shortest little poem. I mean, it must have only had like five lines. But I read it to her. And for the next 15 to 20 minutes, my daughter, who's six years old, came up with poems of her own over and over, just mixing the words with what she knew, with these words from the poem. And it had images like a bent steering wheel and a silver dollar and an alligator. And she just used them. I mean, it just made her mind go wild. And I thought, ah, that's what I want to do. So what I my target age range is elementary school, really. But it's kind of the sweet spot is second to fourth grade because kids need to know a few rules of language before they can then play with the words. Or break the rules. And break right. the rules, exactly, <laughs> which nonsense literature is all about that, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah, and the energy that, that you, you just used to describe uh, what was going on with your own daughter. Uh, I wonder how a podcast gives that energy to people, maybe in a way that other mediums do not. For instance, if you're just reading a book to students, what is it about a podcast that changes that dynamic maybe? That is still a mystery to me. <laughs> and I feel like it's something I'm just learning. I continue to do this. this is my I've done it for three years now. And I continue to learn about this way of sharing, which is an emerging way, as you know. Um, well, you've been in radio for so long. I mean, I've always, I grew up going to the library, checking out records, you know, the Green Lantern, <laughs> you know, all of these wonderful comedy albums I used to check out. So I grew up listening, and I know the intimacy of listening. But podcasts really this on-demand listening, where you can get it anywhere. 
and then you can engage with it. I just, I'm still evolving as a podcaster. Well, you hit on something I think that we like to talk about in the art of broadcasting, and that is theater of the mind. Absolutely. And you seem to have touched on that and seem to have hit on that very well in, in your particular podcast. And it, it is the sort of 100% portable medium, um, not that there's internet access everywhere, but you know where there is, you can download the podcast. You might not always be able to get a broadcast signal, for instance, sometimes. Um, so you hit on some really important things as a tool for teaching children, number one, and it sounds to me like that's a, a great piece of your podcast, but also teaching in a way that's entertaining for them as well. That's got to be important, right? Yeah, and that art of listening is something I think we can all practice and is just a beautiful thing with a child because until you allow them to listen to something and then give them space to respond to that, what comes forth is really, really amazing. And we don't always have the time and space to allow for that to emerge. If you can, it's just a very intimate form. You know, this particular episode of Word, we're focusing on children's and young adult literature. But one of the things that I found just through the process of discovery and talking to people is that one of the beauties about kids' literature, young adult literature, is it's kind of like a comic plays to multiple audiences. You've got the kids' element, but then adults can relate to it one way or the other, either they're relating to their own child or they're remembering something, for instance, about their own childhood themselves. Yeah, I was uh, just had the honor of sitting with a really neat children's book review group um, at one point in my career. And one of the things that I really took away from that experience is a great children's book can be read over and over and over again, and not just loved by your child, but loved by you, that you're not tired of reading it over and over again because of the depth that you're describing. And I think that's fabulous. Buttons and figs, where did that image come from? So that comes from Edward Lear, Uh and it comes from one of his long-form poems titled The Jumblies. And these little creatures, every episode I begin with saying, on each episode, we sail in a sieve. And I, I say, you, you know, we're going to share these poems and songs. Um, and that sailing in a sieve comes from the poem in which these jumblies go to sea in a sieve. And everybody cries, you'll all be drowned. And they cry aloud, we don't care a button, we don't care a fig. And a sieve will go to sea. Far and few, far and few are the lands where the jumblies live. Their heads are green and their hands are blue and they went to sea in a sieve. That's great. (laughs) Pamela Rogers is the host and creator of Buttons and Figs. Where can we find that online? You can listen to my podcast just about anywhere that you do listen to podcasts. So whether that's on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you listen. And we have some fun episodes coming up. Well, Pamela, I want to thank you so much for coming in and making some sense of why Kids Lit and young adult literature does make sense, even though you use what is described as nonsense literature to do it. Thank you so much for coming to Word. My pleasure. And you can hear Pamela's podcast by visiting buttonsandfigs.com. Coming up next, a lesson about vanity for children. It's the Child's Play production of The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word.
Bring the radio home with you and never miss a minute of your favorite programs. This is Marketplace. I'm Kai Rizdal. I'm Robin Young. I'm Jeremy Hobson. It's here and now. Use all the features on your smart speaker to get the latest news updates and the best shows on public radio. It's easy. Just ask your smart speaker to play KJZZ. Thanks to David from Paradise Valley for donating his 2009 Land Rover to support his favorite shows. You can donate your vehicle, too. For more information, visit cars.kjzz.org. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. It's over! Yes, Sam, to the back row of the balcony. Sam, we decided we're doing this show. Okay, great. It's over! What's that? Christmas! It's over, and now we must wait another whole year before the next one! The boy boy was very sad. Those are just some of the stirrings of a rehearsal of The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane, a children's book that has been adapted for the stage by Valley resident Dwayne Hartford. Dwayne is also the artistic director for the show and Child's Play, a nonprofit theater company of professional adult artists who perform for and teach young audiences and their families. I caught up with Dwayne offstage in Tempe, where Child's Play is located. He began our discussion by giving me a brief synopsis of the story. So, The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane is based on the novel by Kate DiCamillo, who's an award-winning uh, author of children's books. And uh, Child's Play uh, got the rights to develop the script and commissioned me to do the adaptation. Uh, and so that was, uh, we premiered the show in 2013. And so it's been around for six years. It has gone on and it's had a pretty great uh, production life. There's about 60 productions of it so far across the country. And uh, we wanted to bring it back. It's for many people here, is one of our favorite shows. The story is uh, a little girl gets a toy rabbit, a china rabbit for her birthday and the china rabbit is beautiful and has all these different clothes and it's quite vain and we uh hear the rabbit's thoughts now the rabbit doesn't move on his own he doesn't it's not like a puppet it's not alive uh but in the story an actor voices uh the thoughts of edward and uh so edward is uh kind of a narcissist, uh, and it doesn't care about anyone else. Through a series of events, uh, he gets separated from the little girl, and thus begins his journey. He ends up on the bottom of the sea. He gets churned up in a storm and ends up in the net of a fisherman. He ends up in a dump. A story takes place primarily during the Great Depression, uh, and he travels with hobos for a number of years. He ends up a scarecrow in a garden outside of Memphis. And then uh, ultimately, uh, over this journey, Edward learns about love. And he learns about empathy and kindness. And his heart opens up to the idea that other people have thoughts and feelings. And that really is the miracle of the, of the story. And uh, without giving away too much... He's rewarded for the lessons he learns. Probably the biggest challenge is the main character, the protagonist, doesn't move and can't move. And that's important to the story that his journey he goes on, he's propelled by other forces. So the idea in theater, it's all about action. And uh, so how do you have a, a main character that doesn't move and doesn't speak? 
And so this idea of having this actor voicing the thoughts was something we explored as we developed the play, and it, it seemed to work. Kate DiCamillo, the author of the book, has a wonderful voice as an author, and this book in particular is beautifully written. And I really wanted to capture her voice. I didn't want to lose that. Some of the play is right out of the book, and some of it is imagined by me. I also caught up with Steve Martin. The new phone book's here! The new phone book's here! No, not that one. This Steve is the managing director of Child's Play. I wanted to understand more about its mission, impact, and importance in the Valley. We are ingrained into the education fabric of our community, much more so than most arts organizations. Uh, We have to have relationships with schools and teachers. And because of that, we have to be able to articulate our value to the education process. And because of that, we get involved very deeply in education reform and providing teachers with new tools to do the work that they do. We have a partnership with Arizona State University this year. It's a $2.3 million program funded by the U.S. Department of Education where we're working with 90 preschools throughout the community and we're giving preschool teachers tools to teach literacy development to three- to five-year-olds. And the whole goal of that program is to make sure that children coming out of preschool are ready to learn how to read and write. Young people can develop skills differently when Child's Play is using our tools to help teachers teach. Uh, For instance, we just finished a dual language program in preschools where we were working with uh, two school districts and they were using our tools both in English and Spanish. And we found, interestingly, that the English primary English-speaking students picked up Spanish very quickly. Um, And the Spanish um, primary Spanish-speaking students felt more comfortable and more integrated uh, into the classroom and not as intimidated because English wasn't their primary language at three, four, and five years old, and that they progressed much faster than if they were just being thrust into an English-only education environment. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that Child's Play doesn't shy away from challenging um, material, There are big food insecurity issues that go on in Arizona, and we adapted a book recently, which was really about friendship. It was about two friends, but one friend discovers that the other one doesn't have food in her refrigerator, and her mother is just trying to live paycheck to paycheck, and so near the end of the pay period, they run out of food. And so the other friend tries to help her by bringing eggs to school in her backpack, which doesn't work, um, raw fish. And at the end, the friends agree and understand that one was only trying to help the other and wasn't betraying a trust. And it was really a beautiful story. But it also provided resources for young people to say there are ways that you can help your family and ways that we can help families in these, with these very challenging issues. And now let's meet some of the cast. Katie McFadden and Deborah K. Stevens are two of the stars of the show. Katie is the narrator. She and Deborah also play numerous characters. I wanted to find out more about their roles, and so I began by asking Katie what it was like to play opposite an inanimate object like a china rabbit. We move it sometimes, but we never 
animate it or bring it to life, we move it like from a chair to someplace else. As far as interacting with it, you interact with it the most. I do. I, um, but I think it's, you know, we have experienced that in our real lives. You know, anybody who mm-hmm. had a stuffed animal that they loved, you know, you're imbuing it with personality and with emotions and feelings mm-hmm. and you're projecting your feelings onto them. So I don't think it's as far um, flung from what you might you might imagine. I think the the challenge was for the playwright it was like, how do we make that inanimate object that doesn't move or talk interesting? But I think he's been very successful in finding the way to make that happen. And then the actor who voices Edward, he moves from one place to another on the stage, um, and nobody looks at him, the actor. They always look at the the doll, and so they interact directly with the doll as opposed to the actor, except for the narrator. Well, speaking of the doll also known as Edward, Kyle Sorrell is the title character. But he's also a musician who brings the important element of tone to the production. I asked him for a hot take on the sonic arc of Edward as he progresses through the show. The music starts off very traditional sounding. We meet the title character when he's a little bit of a tense individual and uh, he's, you know maybe a bit uptight in the very beginning of this show. He hasn't kind of learned to relax and listen and have empathy for others. So it starts out with a very traditional kind of melody. Uh, And then as he is lost the very first time and is sinking in the ocean, the music gets kind of sad. And then, uh, as he's lifted back up again and found by a fisherman, you have this kind of like bright, uplifting melody. And he realizes for the first time that he's alive. And everything's better than being down on the bottom of the ocean. And so he starts to notice the world around him more instead of looking at himself all of the time. Uh, And then, of course, there's just super fun, adventuresome music when he runs around with a character called Bull and his dog Lucy. For seven years, they they hop on trains and live the hobo life, uh, and it's pretty carefree. So uh, it's been a lot of fun and a great journey for me as well, riding along with Edward Tulane. The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane runs weekends through October 13th at the Herberger Theater. You can find out more information on our website at word.kjzz.org. Coming up next... It's time to change sessions. A trip to a Tempe middle school for a student writing conference. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. You know how a friend calls you to catch up and you talk about the weekend? You talk about work, family, maybe the TV show you've got to watch. By the time you hang up, you're filled in on the important news and maybe a little fun stuff as well. There's a lot going on. And All Things Considered is on when you need to hear a little bit of everything. It's this afternoon from 3 until 6 on KJZZ 91.5. Maybe you've lived in the Valley for years, or maybe you just got here. If you're curious about Arizona and have questions, KJZZ wants to know about them. Send us a question at qaz.kjzz.org, and if yours is selected, KJZZ reporters will investigate. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. 
Earlier in September, Kyrene Middle School students participated in a student writing conference on a Saturday afternoon at their school in Tempe. A series of workshops put on by Arizona writers taught these budding young authors everything from character building and visioning techniques to how to bring a work of fiction to the marketplace. The afternoon was the brainchild of writer and Kyrene Middle School teacher Deb Rosenblum, who teaches 7th and 8th grade language and literature. I caught up with her in between workshop sessions and wanted to know how she came up with the idea for a young writers conference. I came up with this idea for this young writers conference because I am a writer, a published author, and I've gone to many conferences and I also have hosted um, Arizona Dreamin', which was a readers conference for five, six years for adults. And I wanted to bring that experience down for our kids because as a language and literature teacher, I see the amazing work that these kids do. Um, And they don't get enough time to really sink into the creative writing. It's all about essays and personal narratives. So I really wanted to give them an outlet for that. Well, let me ask you about that because so much of school focus is on tests, you know, and obviously you have state achievement standards that you need to achieve. And I know when I was teaching in university, for instance, there was this constant debate going back and forth between uh, at the introductory levels of English, you know, whether we should be teaching more literature, whether we should be focusing on sort of essays and whatnot. What do you think creative writing does for students that sort of standard essays may not? I think it's all about imagination. In this day and age of technology, when kids are sitting on their couches with their telephones and playing video games, they're not creating, they're not they're not nurturing their imagination as much as we used to when we were kids. When you sink into the art and the craft of creative writing, it just fires those neurons that have been sleeping for a long time, and um, and then they create magic. And probably it's a little bit easier to get a start because I I remember when I was teaching, you know, a lot of people were like, how am I ever going to start this essay, right? So if you start from the imagination... Yeah, so for creative writing, it's definitely, you just need a seed, you just need a little nugget. And from there, you know, you just build on. And that's what's happening here today. I have four YA authors who are local to Arizona, who are helping these kids understand the nature of creative writing, um, how to go from a nugget of an idea and expand it, how to create characters with depth, how to really sink into the conflict of a story, how to use music to generate ideas. Um, And then what's the business like? Because these kids, I can tell you, some of them, they're going to be writers. They're going to be colleagues of mine in very shortly. <laughs> well, you bring up a really good point because maybe some kids don't think that this could be a career for them. I have to tell you, um, I had a student email me the other day thanking me for doing a creative writing class a couple years ago because she is now going into college and focusing on creative writing. So the purpose today then is to introduce these students to authors that are actually living in their state um, to give them some tips on possibly becoming a professional author. But what are some of the other sort of outcomes that, that you might expect from today? Well, you know, some kids are really, they're into science and math. They're into social studies. They may or may not be into reading and writing. And I hope that through today, they'll have a a better appreciation. We're not looking for them to love writing, but let's like it a little bit more. And they may be more apt to engage in those essays because they can see the power of writing. That was Deb Rosenblum from Kyrene Middle School. 
One of the workshops at the school was conducted by Arizona writer Ginger Scott, whose session about character building I got to observe. Here's one of the student responses from a visualization worksheet that was handed out in that workshop. It asked them some central questions about their character, whether it was human or an animal, for instance, what the character looks like, how they speak, what makes them tick, and so on. So, um, my character is human, but genetically modified by a school experiment that fails. She has a blonde bob and uh, olive skin. However, she must dress the same as all her fellow students in a spinach green blazer, a black necktie, a white undershirt, a khaki skirt, uh, black and white striped leggings, and black shoes every day, and it has to be the same. And she has to speak in a quiet voice, otherwise if she is heard oh, like speaking by the teacher, she will be punished. You cannot over like speak over the teacher. And something that makes her tick is seeing her friends or animals being abused, being reminded of her friend Darwin, who was changed permanently by a school experiment that went wrong. <laughs> and um, so she is depressed and has many insecurities. However, her friends help her get through them and she has a deep love for them. She's also a very intelligent, uh, creative person. And she and her friends, uh, they all love each other like siblings. And she has nothing except for hours of homework. Her name is Rachel. Later after the session, I caught up with Ginger and asked her how she came up with the character building worksheet. In addition to using social media like Pinterest for students to practice visualization for richer storytelling. It's something that I probably picked up from a class, maybe even like third grade. I remember tearing magazines and, and making visual paste-up boards of creative things that I was going to write. You know, it wasn't necessarily a book back then. And now, thanks to technology, you don't have to rip up your parents' magazines. You can actually make a Pinterest board of right. <laughs> inspiration. Right, right. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head with what I was thinking, which is storyboarding. Mm -hmm. And in particular, uh, I mean, I'm thinking about scenes in the original Star Wars movie where George Lucas was trying to get the timing down of ships. And he goes back and ends up watching old World War II footage as a way to get the timing correct. So that seems kind of similar to what you were doing there. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, um, I write a lot of stories about high school, and sometimes I'm inspired by um, senior photos and the photos that people take. A senior photo really digs at your personality, so if you're a football player, you, your senior photo probably says that you're a football player in some way. Um, and so that, that's a great place to kind of find inspiration for teen stories. Sharon Skinner is another Arizona writer who conducted workshops. When I caught up with her between sessions, I wanted to know about the challenges of writing for young versus adult audiences. You know what's interesting is that the challenges are the same, as far as I'm concerned. You still have to tell an interesting story with an engaging character, get the reader into the story, and not let them go. It's to hook them and book them. I want to get a reader into the story so far that I get nice emails from librarians and people who re have read my book saying things like, you made me late for work, my kids stayed up all night. You know, that's what I'm looking for. I want the words to disappear on the page. I want the story to happen in the head, and I want them to stick with it. Tell me a little bit briefly about this particular workshop here. Um, I noticed in the last class you had about 10 students, and it looks like that's going to be about the same for this one. So I'm really excited about this. This is brand new, and I got to be on the 
front end of it. So I was invited to be one of the presenting authors here today. We have four authors. We have four groups of students. And these are all students who want to be here because they want to write. So we're able to engage them in a meaningful way and teach them some of the types of workshop things that I would normally do at a large conference or as a writer in residence, which I've been before, that they don't normally get or have access to because they don't have the resources or the ability to maybe attend those kinds of events. And so this was established as basically a small writing conference for local youth writers. And they get the chance to see that you can actually do this for a living. Yes, they get the chance to see that at some level you can do this for a living. Yeah, absolutely. While most of the sessions focused on how to write, author Jeff Marriott focused on discussing with students how to have a career as a writer. When I caught up with him at the end of the day, I was surprised by his initial advice. But it made a lot of sense when I thought more about it. They should mostly be reading, if they have a particular genre that they're interested in, try to be well-read in that genre. Um, Otherwise, to have a wide base of reading and writing all the time. Were there some exercises that you took them through um, that that maybe give them an indication um, how much work you have to put into this? I didn't make them work. I made them talk to me about what they were doing and what they wanted to accomplish and tried to guide them in a way that could help them do that. But I did stress that it's a lot of writing before you ever get published professionally, and then it's even more writing after that. That's a really good point, um, because I think a lot of people feel like they're, when they approach writing, it's like, oh, well, this person's a genius, and they just got this on the first go. They, they never look at their drafts and the revisions, right? Yeah. I shared with them the old maxim that was probably never true, but that you have to write a million words before you get published. And it, it certainly feels like it, even if it isn't actually a million, but it's going to be a process, and you're going to have to try and try and try and eventually it'll happen. So what did these middle school budding writers think about the day when it was all over and they had a chance to get books signed and talk about their experiences? Let's find out. I'm Morgan. What did you enjoy the most about today's sessions? I don't know. I really liked all of it. Um, It's fun to work with writing outside of school. Tell me about that, because it's different often, right? In a workshop like this, it's more creative. Do you like that type of writing better? Yeah, I I like it a lot more than, like, essay stuff. Um, Creative writing is really fun. Why is it more fun than essays? I feel like it's, um, (laughs) it's, it's less structured. It's, like, I don't know, it's just more fun. Do you feel like it's maybe less stressful, too? Yeah, definitely. Because you get to use your imagination. Yeah. I'm Layla Fascio and I'm in sixth grade. What I liked about the techniques was like the music one where we would just listen to music and then just try to find the inspiration of what the music kind of stand for and what we would like write about. Do you find that when you look listen to music in general, not that you're trying to write for it, but do you find that it might take you to a sort of a different place than where you are? Yes, yeah, sometimes certain songs will, even though if I don't know them, but certain songs will do that to me. And so you think maybe that some kind of connection to the writing that you did today, that it, you took yourself in a different place because of this music? Yes, as I had a lot of different examples of where I would like be and like what settings they are 
My name is Liliana Pearson. I am in eighth grade. And what did you like about one of the sessions? Uh, tell me one of your favorite things. Um, I really liked being in uh, Sharon Skinner's session because I like diving into the characters' personalities and really getting to know my characters. What was it about that session that gave you an idea about how you might approach characterization in the future? Um, it helped me really understand what my character wants in their lives and what their conflicts are. So I really got to understand them. And was it because of that really long checklist that she had with what seemed like a thousand questions on it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't really seem like that much. I thought it was pretty fun, actually. My name is Joaquin Brown. I am a sixth grader. And have you been writing for a long time? Uh, my mom told me that I've probably been writing ever since day one. Wow. Have you kept journals uh, or just create stories off the top of your head? I've created a few stories before, and I sometimes write in a journal, although I haven't really been doing that lately, which I think I might be doing that again sometime. What do you like about writing? Writing is just like you can express your thoughts and create stories and like books and stuff. I'm McKenna Baker. I'm in seventh grade. What were some of the things that you found very interesting about the workshop that you attended? I found interesting that we listened to music and then we wrote a story about the music. So that was kind of cool. Have you ever used some type of technique like that to get you into storytelling? No. I usually just draw out my characters and then I'd like create a backstory for them after I've drawn them. What was it about the music that made you maybe think more creatively or think in a different way than if you just, you know, sat down and started writing, for instance? It was like how you could hear certain instruments or like the drums or the trumpet could like, the drums could be like going into battle. My name is Jonathan Hoops and I'm in seventh grade. My favorite experience is how, or is how they told us like, the different types of um, artists or no illustrators that can be here, like Jeff has different genres that he does, and that's something that like is not very great for some readers or authors, but he does it pretty well. What types of genres are you interested in? I'm interested in many different ones, like some fantasy, comedy, and some action and some sci-fi. Was there a particular writing technique um, that you found really informative or, or maybe is going to help you if you thought about being a writer in the future? Uh, maybe figuring out some main key uh, traits on characters because that's what I came here to learn about more. And what do you think was rewarding about thinking about all of that kind of stuff? Uh, what was rewarding is that I successfully made like a character and a little bit about the story. I'm Elliot. I'm in eighth grade. It was really interesting, especially the character building stuff. That was really useful to me. Was that the one where they played music and then you kind of envisioned what was going on? Um, it was the one where, so we got a table and we would write so the protagonist's strength and weakness, and then the antagonist's strength and weakness, and they would have to contrast, and you would write conflict. That was really interesting. Great, right, and so you understand, right, that conflict is what makes a good story. Yeah. Those were the voices from seven students at Kyrene Middle School as they close out this episode. If you have a suggestion for a future episode of Word, or you just want to hear our archive, find us online at word.kjzz.org. Thanks for listening.
I'm Tom Axedon. Word. Word? Word. What's the word? Thanks for listening to Word from the KJZZ Studios in Tempe, Arizona. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org.